Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from the Drunk Gossip Studios here in New York City. So, it has been a week already. <laughs> Seriously, I know it's only Tuesday, but wow. And if you're not listening to this on Tuesday, if you're listening to, to this on another day of the week, I'm sorry, I just had to... You know, it's one of those things where... Ugh. Like, I'm dead tired. And I keep thinking, oh, it's almost the weekend. And then I realize I don't get weekends. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but jokes aside, we need to talk about some Kevin Spacey. And here's the truth. Uh, I actually kind of debated whether to do this segment first or last. And ultimately, I wanted to get it out of the way, and I don't feel like uh, a pedophile, a predator, deserves the weight of the last segment. Of course, um, that's not always been the case, and in the future, I may change my mind, and um, that's just my prerogative. (laughs) But, so... Last time we talked about Kevin Spacey, he was in court um, in Nantucket because he allegedly groped a then 18-year-old boy. And at some point, he decided to do this creepy, weird video in character is Frank Underwood. Um, and, and he got pulled over on the way um, back to the airport from the courthouse. So he was back in court. It was a surprise appearance. Uh, because he's trying to get the charges dropped against him. His lawyers are alleging that none of the evidence can be trusted because it was all tampered with. Um, And his attorney, Alan Jackson, who apparently is really an attorney and not a country star? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, we we all know that there actually is a country star named Alan Jackson. But uh, it just threw me off. Every time I've read it, I'm like, way down... Way down yonder by the Chattahoochee? Um, Anyways, um, Alan Jackson claims that um, the victim's phone contained his quote-unquote frat boy activities. And he claims that the victim and his mother um, wiped the phone clean. He said they cleansed it. And then he goes on to say, what troubles me, Your Honor, the Commonwealth had all this information. We suspect the, this manipulation has been going on. Um, and then he, they asked for the charges to be dropped. Jackson said every day this goes on, he suffers. And then, of course, he, they go into more allegations saying that 
Um, the victim has gone to great lengths to remove text messages he believes does not fit this narrative. And then said that the prosecutors must hand over a complete and unaltered copy of the accuser's cell phone records. So, basically, they're pulling a blame the victim here. Um, when the first defense didn't work, that the kid lies and says he was 21 and um, clearly wasn't uncomfortable with it because he filmed it and sent it to his girlfriend via Snapchat... Now they're trying to say that he he's just completely changing the narrative of what happened. Um, and what's even more sickening, according to Inti Lawyer from Crazy Days and Nights, is it's very likely that these charges are going to be dropped and he's not going to face any time in jail for what he's done. So... Um, the judge didn't rule. Um, they have tried to... Um, they were they were trying to get the trial moved up earlier, but the judge said, no, it's going to happen in October or November. Uh, unless, of course, the charges are dropped. And if the charges are dropped, look for another Justice Small situation where... The prosecutor will come under intense scrutiny unless there is something very valid, a very valid reason why the charges need to be dropped. So we're going to stay on top of this story, but for right now, I'm going to go and come right back. And I'm back. And I wanted to move into something a little bit lighter, a little bit more happy. Um, So... Y'all know, or if you don't know, you do now, Unbreakable, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is one of my favorite comedies ever. Um, it's just the right amount of goofy, off-the-wall humor that I love. And dark comedy. And it, you know, it really takes talented and, and wonderful writers to be able to pull this off. Um, and Tina Fey and her producing partner and the entire writers really, really um, did a phenomenal job. Um, you know, they kind of lost their way for a minute, but um, the last half of season four are some of the best episodes ever. Um... But, more than that, um, Ellie Kemper, who played the title character, uh, she was already um, popular because of um, The Office, but she really broke out in a big way. Not like Mindy Kaling or anything, but, you know, she, her profile was really raised. Um, between seasons two and three, Ellie got pregnant for the first time. Uh, so there was a slight delay in season three. 
And some people think that that's why um, Netflix didn't renew it for season five. Um, a lot of people are claiming that on that maternity break um, happened at just the wrong time where they were starting to evaluate their business decisions and trying to figure out where they would get the most bang for their buck. Um, And since Kimmy Schmidt was produced by an outside studio, Universal, instead of Netflix, um, they they didn't make as much money on it because they had to, since um, Universal was no longer able to syndicate it, um, they had to pay Universal and the actors what they would have made via a syndication deal. So what does all this have to do with anything? Well, Ellie Kemper is once again pregnant. And um, this time, obviously, um, she's not on hiatus or anything. She's literally just, um, I don't want to say unemployed, but she's, she's between gigs right now. Um, so, E was the first to report the news, um, with confirmation from her publicist. Um, but it was her stylist, Jessica Pastor, who kind of informed the world, um, when she posted a picture of Ellie and said that she was a beautiful mommy to be on her Instagram account. Um, now there's no word yet on what, if any, impact this will have on the Kimmy Schmidt movie that's supposed to be coming out. Um, early next year. It's going to be, it's allegedly going to be an interactive um, movie along the lines of that Black Mirror um, special where, you know, you get to choose what happens with each of the characters. Which I think is going to be really interesting, but at the same time, I kind of wish... That they would have just done... Just done a movie. Like, a regular damn movie. You know, show us where the characters are. Um, Perhaps... um, Titus and Mikey are getting married. And... You know, it's bringing... Everyone back together. Because let's face it, well, Kimmy was the center of the show, Titus was the star, and he's the one who really held that group together. And speaking of holding things together, I'm gonna go, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And I really should actually put this before the Ellie Kemper segment, but, you know, I don't always do the right thing, um... (laughs) So forgive me, but um, 
we're going to talk a little bit about Josh Demel and Fergie finally getting a divorce. Now, for those of you who don't remember, earlier this year, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Gardner were told by a judge that either they complete the divorce or they were, it was just going to be kicked out and they would have to start all over if they didn't want to be married anymore. Um, it's, I don't know that this is the case, but it almost seems like the same thing kind of happened with Fergie and Josh Jamel, where maybe they were hoping um, just to stay married. Maybe they were hoping to make it to the 10-year mark when they would have to split the fortune. Um, I don't know. But Fergie finally went down and filed for divorce from Josh Jamel. And the reasoning, um, there, there seems to be very conflicted reasonings. One source says that they were, they were actually talking about maybe trying to work their relationship out, but Josh wanted more kids, and Fergie is happy with their five-year-old son, Axel, and said, no, she was done. She didn't want any more kids, which led to a breakdown in the relationship. Which... Fergie is entitled to say no, she doesn't want any more kids. But on the same hand, if Josh wants another kid or two, um, that's a decision that both parties need to make together. Or agree to go their separate ways. Um, You know, that's just, that's one of those issues where no one's right and no one's wrong. The only way it would be wrong is if Josh raped Fergie or tried to force her to have another child in some way. But by all accounts, he really is a nice guy. Um, yes, he can be a little bit douchey. He sleeps with strippers um, and, and goes buck wild. But that's only part of the story. And, you know, the other part of it is everything is very consensual. You know, he goes out of his way to make sure that this is what is wanted. Um, Rumors have always floated that he and Fergie had an open relationship. And at the time when they first separated in 2017, the rumor was that the separation was more about uh, her wanting him to stay home with her more and for the relationship to become monogamous and him not wanting that. Especially with, at the time, their work schedules were both really crazy. Um, Freddie was trying to stage a comeback on the music scene. And she was 
um, a judge on one of those reality shows. I think it was called The Four. Um, and Josh was busy filming a bunch of movies. Um, but if you fast forward, neither, I mean, Josh still works regularly, but he's not quite as in demand as he once was. And Fergie couldn't get a song on the charts if she had Cardi B, um, if if the song had a Cardi B feature and was produced by Pharrell. Um, I don't know if her time has passed or if she's just choosing bad music. Um, but one of the other rumors is that she, since she doesn't have her show anymore and she doesn't have a music career to speak of, she needs an infusion of cash and she thinks a divorce settlement with Josh will give her one. Now, unfortunately, it seems like she's worth more than him. So, um, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But, there, there's that. And she could always take the Taylor Swift route and write bad breakup songs. That might be the only way she ever hits the charts again, I guess. Um, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna be right back. And I'm back. So, one of the things that I've really been thinking about when it comes to writing is building up a back catalog. Now, let me explain why this is. A couple years ago, I went to a Writer's Digest conference, and I sat through a session where, um, and I cannot remember their name, it was a husband and wife team. The husband wrote the books, and the wife um, did all the accounting and marketing for the books. They were, first of all, they were just an adorable couple, and um, more than that, more than them just being an adorable couple, they had a rhythm that worked very, very well for them. Um, but one of the things that... Um, one of the lessons that they taught us was if you have a back catalog of books, um, every time a new one comes out, you're going to see a spike in sales for the other books. Um... Because people who are discovering your, your you know, your fir- people who read your first book will want to read your second. And then the new people who find your second will want to read the first and then the books going forward. Which is why series are so popular. Um, especially series where there's a standalone story. But maybe with some... Um, Maybe with some 
continuing threads, and they're gonna, and they want to see how that storyline either resolves or how it started. So that's something I've always kept in the back of my head. It's one of those lessons that just burned itself down, especially since I think of writing as a business, um, which I know doesn't always make people happy. And in fact, um, some people get very, very irritated with me because I do think of it as uh, more of a business than... Um, more of a business than an art. Not that there's not an art to this, but um, my mind is always, how do I market this? Who am I aiming this at? How do I sell this? Um, and it, honestly, Will and I have talked about it, and it's one of the things um, that I think really impresses him. Like Even with Drunk Gossip, I was able to tell him who my audience was, how I reached them, and why... I, why I don't use production notes, because this is us having conversation. Yes, it's me talking for 30 minutes or however long, but, you know, I, I don't think of you guys as listeners. I think of you guys as friends, and y'all are listening as I'm telling you what's going on. And one day, I hope you use the anchor feature where you can leave me a voice message and then we can actually have conversations or I can react to what you tell me. Um, but um, back to the main point here, we're talking about um, we're talking about having a back catalog. So one of the things my brain did was think, I wonder if this would work with articles. When I had Generation Gossip, it definitely did. Um, especially towards the end when I would skip days, weeks, months. My page views were very steady. Uh, there was a slow decline, but for the most part, I had built up enough... Um, I had I had built up enough article um, backlog where you couldn't really tell where the decline was coming from. That I don't think that's the right way to say that, but we're gonna go with it for right now. Um, uh, and the same thing happened with vocal. I haven't written it there in a couple of months, and yes, there there's been a decline in my my page views. But overall, I'm still averaging a lot of people reading my work. Now, th- some people will argue and say, well, that's because you're writing crime. Some people will say, you know, it's, it's because, you know, you have sex articles. Yes, all of that is true, but... If you take yourself out of it, I mean, uh, sex articles, true crime articles are evergreen, which means the facts of the cases or the facts of the 
you know, the suggestions or whatever are usually not going to change very much. Um, and as proof, I wrote about Anna Sorkin, who we've talked about on this podcast. She um, defrauded banks and friends. So I have two articles on Vocal about her, one dealing with the friend aspect, one dealing with the business aspect. And then I wrote about her again over on HVY. And um, once again, people are just reading it. Um, And HVY, I'm actually the number two most read writer in the world. And I'm number one in the United States. So, the whole point of that is, fellow writers, get a back catalog. Um, Get a back catalog um, on any site that you're writing for. And then if you need to take time off or if you need a vacation or whatever the case might be, you can take one without worry because at the end of the day you're going to have these backlogs Um, and you know I was looking at some true crime books just to see how they're selling and I was comparing like my style to, uh, to those that have really broken through M.W. Or M. William Phelps is probably the most popular true crime writer at this point. Um, now that Anne Rule has sadly passed on, and I have quite a few of his books. I've read them. He's very serious, very investigative, reportery, and um, you know it just. It just doesn't, um, it doesn't feel right for me. So I was going through Facebook and, you know, I've been part of this group and someone um, made a comment about another person's article being more of an essay than, than journalistic. And that's when it dawned on me. When I write the, like, when I was, um, not when I was working, I'm still working on Love You to Death, but with Love You to Death, um, these are more essays than, um, hardcore journalists, um, feats of whatever, and that's okay, because it works for me. And it'll help me get a backlog of true crime books a lot faster. One, and now that I've accepted that this is what it is, you know, I'll be able to bang out um, Love You to Death, which I already have the cover for, cover reveal coming soon. Um, I'll be able to, um, I'll be able to bang that out. I'll be able to bang out um, The Florida Man book 
a lot faster because now I've accepted my style and by accepting my style, I'm going to get a backlog faster. And I'm sure you're wondering what the hell my point is. And it's just get a backlog. Get a backlog of articles on every single platform that you possibly can. As soon as you can. Um, because the more you do, the more money you're going to make. And the more you'll be able to build up your... Um, the more you'll be able to build up your... Um, fan base. I mean, that's honestly how I got to number number one with HVY. And I just realized I've been talking for 10 minutes, so I'm going to go and come right back. And I'm back. So, um, first of all, there's an, uh, another big story that I actually had thought about um, doing for the last segment. But... I need a little bit more time to do some research on it. It is about the Bradley Cooper, Irina um, Sharka um, alleged breakup. But as I said, I want to do some more research because I know um, that there's more behind this than what we're hearing. Um, so I'm working my sources right now to find out um, what else we can find out. I could potentially bring you this story tomorrow or um, later on in the week. But for right now, let's talk some Sarah Gilbert. So Sarah's been in the news a lot lately. Almost, in a way, like, like too much. And I love Sarah Gilbert, don't get me wrong. I think she's fantastic. But I don't understand why she's in the news so much. Um, um, First, she made the news for um, announcing that she was leaving the talk. Um, And we've talked about this. She she left mostly because her marriage was under a lot of strain. And her wife basically said, you have to choose. Um, you're not you're not being fair to me and the kids, and you you need to make a change. So she decided to leave the talk the show which she created. Um, and there there has been a few people, um, a few sources close to CBS who have told me that um, there might have been some uh, negotiations. That broke down. Um, But. um, They're not. They're not saying what the breakdown was. I'm hearing though it's not confirmed that she's going to be removed as executive producer as well. um, For the upcoming season. Again that's. There's nothing of. Um. Nothing concrete about that, but that's what I'm hearing. Um, she'll always get a created by credit because that um, union rules require that. Um, but after she talked about leaving the the talk, uh, rumors automatically started that she was going to join the View. There's, I wouldn't be surprised. 
But um, some of her comments make that seem very unlikely. At least at this point. Um, she said part of the reason why she left to talk is because she doesn't like to talk about herself. Um... She said something had to give, and I've been lucky enough to do the talk show for nine years. And so that felt like the right move is okay, I've done that and I fully explored it, and now it's time to do other creative ventures. And then she said, There is some relief in thinking, like, wow, if I go through anything in my personal life now, I don't have to talk about it. That's been a stretch for me because I've never been a very public person. I think I put myself on the show to try to push the boundaries like that and grow spiritually and psychologically. But I'm okay with letting that piece of it go. Um, and again, I really feel like uh, this that there probably is some contract negotiations that didn't go well. Especially since they had her replacement so quickly. Like, this, that tells me that they knew this was coming. Um, and she and Tom Werner, who is executive producer of The Connors, and um, the Roseanne reboot and the original Roseanne series, um, uh, they're launching a new production company together called Tom and Sarah. And basically she just said, you know, they've worked together for so long, most of her life actually, that it felt like the right move. Nothing too too stunning or anything about that. But she did start talking about the Connors a little bit. And she started talking about... Um, she started talking about her favorite episode of TV ever. And... There's an episode of Family Ties called A. Alex... My name is Alex Keaton... And apparently, in the episode, one of Alex's friends is killed in a car accident. And Alex um, goes through this whole thing where um, he has survivor's guilt. And at some point, it goes from being a half-hour sitcom to being... A stage play with Michael J. Fox on stage as Alex kind of talking about the people in his life and around him and whatnot. Um, the episode won the Emmy for Best Comedy Writing um, and was really lauded for breaking form. And Sarah said that we could probably see something like that um, 
We could probably see something like that on the Connors. She said, you want to honor... Um, she's talking about... In the first part of this, she's talking about um, how Roseanne actually tackles big issues in the past and why she wants the Connors to do the same. She said, you want to honor the original show and then keep up with the times to some degree. We just naturally want to go deeper. We've been making less episodes, which has allowed us to make the show more serialized and have these really complete arcs. So I think I'll, I'll, we'll try that, to do that again next season, even though it's a bigger order. Um, and... She also said... Uh, I'm trying to... She said um, that they're playing with the idea of doing that on the Connors. Um, she didn't say how or why. Um, but she did say that they were kind of playing with the idea of of breaking form and which if they were going to do that they had the perfect opportunity in the pilot episode when they killed Roseanne off um I mean grief doesn't go away so they could they could definitely use Roseanne's death to launch um into something with Dan or Aunt Jackie, or Darlene, or even Becky. Um, so that'll be interesting. But my guess is they're probably going to kill off DJ's wife, Gina, and make him a single father. Um, and that's why we haven't heard about Gina returning for season two of The Connors. So that's going to do it for me for today. Thank y'all so much for listening as always. And until next time, cheers.